following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you uh, have a Bible with you, please turn to Psalm 25. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have verses on the screens. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd really like to give you one. Let us know after the service, okay? So we're in Psalm 25. Uh, If you don't know this, we've jumped into and out of the book of Psalms over several years, uh, and we will continue to do that. I have ask the Lord to grant me the privilege of preaching through the entire Psalter before I die, and so I'm hoping uh, at this pace I can get there. Uh, We are now in Psalm 25, and this psalm has an interesting structure in the original language, which is Hebrew. This psalm is actually an acrostic, and so what that means is uh, each line begins with a corresponding letter in Hebrew in order. There's a, a a couple slight variations in this, but it is definitely set up as an acrostic poem. Uh, and I think this reminds us of the poetic nature of the Psalms. And, and many have theorized at the purpose of this and other Psalms, uh, like famously, Psalm 119 is also an acrostic. Uh, but why would they be written in this format? Uh, and it may simply be to convey uh, artistic expression and beauty. Uh, But it may also have been helpful in terms of memorization, Uh, because you have to remember these were were originally songs. These were sung by followers of God as worship in the temple, and so uh, having each letter of the Hebrew alphabet begin the next line, if you were someone trying to memorize this, that could be a helpful kind of prompt and starter. Uh, And I don't know how many of these things you've heard, but many artists have composed songs out of the Psalms in English. And uh, I kind of wish someone would do all of them, (laughs) since uh, music is such a powerful tool for memorization. Um, If someone would just do a All the Psalms album, I'd be first in line to buy it. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, And and I, you know, I don't want to go too far in this. I'm not going to say that Christians should only listen to worship music. If that's your conviction, then amen. I'm not saying that, but I I will say this. We should not be naive about the power that music has to infiltrate our hearts and minds. Amen. Uh, And and I'm going to give you an example of this. I, I can give you some precise details about a toy that was released in 1991 because the toy had a catchy jingle on the commercial. Uh, it was a plush mother dog that had little puppies in its belly. And I can tell you that the possible number of puppies that would come in this toy was three to five. The reason I can tell you that is because the commercial had a song. Surprise, surprise, puppy surprise. How many puppies are there inside? It could be three or four or five. That was 32 years ago. And I can still tell you how many puppies you could possibly get in the puppy surprise. Why? Because music has incredible power to shape our minds and hearts. Now, that's totally useless information. I wish I could forget it, but here here I am. 
<laughs> and so if all the Psalms were songs in English, I would also say, you know, we'd have the added benefit of joining with our ancestors in the faith throughout history and singing them. So there's 150 Psalms, so it might have to be a few albums, but I think someone should get to work on that, in my opinion. Okay, so um, just wanted to point out kind of the, uh, the fact that God is creative, and the creativity of humans is a reflection of God's creativity. And so this is a poem, and these are songs, and uh, they are meant to shape our worship and our prayers. And so I'm hoping they have that effect on us today. Okay, so let's read Psalm chapter 25 together, and uh, we'll see what, what the Lord has for us here. Okay? It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord... As for those who fear him, he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred." Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Praise God for his word. Amen. Let's go back to verse 1. The first line we see is, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And this is, a way of declaring full surrender. And it's accompanied by the next line. Oh my God, in you I trust. And so these are, there's a lot of repetition in, in the Psalms and, and that's for emphasis. There's a reason for that. And so for, for the psalmist to be saying, I lift my soul up to you and in you I trust, it's, it's in some ways saying the same thing different ways and with different emphasis. But there's a lot of power behind that idea of I lift my soul up to you. It's basically, as, as I do this, I'm declaring, I, I have no control. I'm fully surrendered to you. That's the start of this plea for help that we're reading here. Next it says, do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Now, I think in English, and ashamed is, is a fine way to translate this, but in English, when we say ashamed, Typically, we're thinking of 
what's the synonym that comes to your mind first when you hear ashamed? Go ahead, shout it out if you got one. Okay. Okay. That didn't go like I thought it would. Embarrassed was the one I was looking for, but good job, everybody. Would you say, if you're ashamed, typically, are you embarrassed? At least that, right? Okay, but this has, actually, you guys jumped the gun and started explaining it the, the deeper part of how this word has more meaning than just embarrassed, and you guys touched some of it. It's, it's not just embarrassed. This idea of ashamed is really, the idea behind it is, is like being, uh, being made to look a fool because you trusted in something and it didn't come through. That idea is really in this Hebrew word. So that, that's what he means by don't be ashamed. Like, don't let me... And he talks about the enemies exalting over him. That's part of it. Like, ashamed in this way would, would make your enemies go, you idiot, you fool. You trusted in God and look what it got you. That's, that's really what he's saying, okay? So we, we get to verse 3. It says, indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. None of those who wait for you will be ashamed. That's, that's a big statement. That's something we should take a moment to consider. And as we consider it, I want to ask you this question. Why is it that those who wait on the Lord will not be ashamed? So that leads to this question. What is more important? Okay, I want you to really think about this. What is more important, the quality of your faith or the object of your faith? Think about that. What's more important, the quality of your faith and the object of your faith? We can argue that both are important, and I think that's right. But I do think one is more important than the other. Let me try to <clears throat> give you an analogy to show you what I mean. Imagine with me uh, a, a, a raging river, okay? So this is a river that if you fall in it, you've got zero chance of making it. This thing's at flood stage. It's, you're, you're a goner if you fall in this thing, okay? We've got two bridges, all right? One bridge is made out of popsicle sticks and hot glue, okay? The other bridge is made out of giant cedar beams. It's, you know, I'm talking about the, the best Amish craftsman you've ever seen took some cedar beams out of the wood and made this bridge. This thing is, this thing is a forever bridge, okay? So you got popsicle stick bridge, and you got this awesome cedar bridge. you got two people standing at each one. The person, let's say the person standing at popsicle stick bridge is very, very confident. They're almost boastful. Oh, this thing's going to hold me. No problem whatsoever. And then you got the person over at Cedar Bridge that's looking at the water, and they're like, ooh, man, this is kind of sketchy. They're a little nervous about crossing the bridge. Okay? So that's, that's the situation. Here's my question to you. We're, they're both going to walk across it. Who's in better shape? Popsicle stick person that's super confident in the popsicle stick bridge? Or person over here that... Well, I'm, I'm not totally sure, but, but what they're stepping onto is the bridge that's actually going to hold you. What's more important, the quality of your faith or the object of your faith? What is your faith in? Who is your faith in? And that's what, that's what this, this, there's a, um, a consistent pattern of coming back to that idea throughout this psalm. None of those who wait for you will be ashamed. That's the key. The key word there is you. The object of his faith is God. And that's why he and no one else, anybody else that waits on him will not be 
ashamed, okay? So that's, first of all, and there'll be more to say about that as we move through this. That idea comes up again. <clears throat> that's kind of the first part of verse 3. Let's, let's look at the second part of verse 3. Those, so none of those who wait for you, Lord, will be ashamed. But those who deal treacherously without cause, they will be ashamed. I want to speak a word to to some of you right now that I I think this is particularly pertinent. I think there's many of you that have wounds that have never healed because you are tormented with a question that has no answer. Some of you have been hurt deeply by people, and you are haunted with the question, why? Why would they do this? Why would they not do that? And it's that question that keeps tearing open the scab and the scar that would try to heal over the wounds that were caused. And then what comes on the backside, that ancient fork-tongued liar shows up and wants to convince you to internalize that question and then decide that it must be something wrong with you. The why of the sin, the why of the infraction, is something wrong with you. That's why they hurt you. That's why they left you. That's why they fill in the blank. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. There was a scene in one of the Batman movies, I can't remember which one, and someone asked the Joker what his plan was. And the Joker responded, a plan? Do I look like a man with a plan? And went on to explain that basically he just wanted to see the world burn. Friends, I want you to hear me. Evil oftentimes doesn't make any sense. Broken people oftentimes do broken things. And there is no logical reason behind it. But what I'd like to offer you today is a ticket to freedom from being tortured by trying to figure out why. Here's, here's what we know for sure. And, and I'm pulling this, this is this truth is, is echoing up out of the second half of verse three. Whoever it is that has sinned against you, if they do not repent and put their trust in God, they will be the ones looking foolish in the end. Those who deal treacherously with no cause, they will be ashamed. The perfect justice of God frees us to forgive and to pray for those who hurt us. We have to remember that vengeance is the Lord's and He will repay. And you can always take that to the bank. And the hope is, Jesus came and and revealed to us, look, and You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, love your enemies as well. The height, if if you're like, well, I don't know if I'm healed from past wounds. How do I tell? Can you pray for the ones that hurt you? Are you there yet? If not, I'm not pushing you to get there. But I am asking you to ask the Lord to help you get there. Let's at least set the bar where it belongs. Can you pray for their good? Can you ask... Do you genuinely hope they do find repentance in the same way you have, dear sinner? Are you there yet? 
If not, the Lord is patient, and I trust the Holy Spirit is working a process in your heart. But let's at least know where we should be wanting to head. And I pray that some of you will have the the chains of that question of why fall off your wrist. Let's at least get that out of the way. Help us, Lord. Verses 4 through 7. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. They have been from old. Some translations would say from eternity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Have any of you figured out yet that we tend not to realize our need for God until there's trouble? We do sometimes as humans have that tendency. And I'm going to push it farther. Have you seen in yourself the tendency to forget how utterly dependent you are on the Lord when life seems to be going your way? Have you seen that in yourself? Do you know that's a possibility, a temptation? I don't think we could have sang a better song and it almost preached the whole sermon for me about 10 minutes ago. Because really you want to summarize Psalm 25? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's re- you really want to summarize what's being said here? It's a desperate plea of somebody that's humble enough and wise enough to know. They need God. We are so prone to think we already know the path. Did you notice what he asked? Show me your paths. Show me your ways. Right? We are very prone to think we already know the path or... or Worse, or we can make our own path. We're not even asking the question, Lord, where's your path? Or, oh, I know where the Lord's path is. I got this. But it's like, let me get out my machete and just hack my way through these thorns. I'm going to make my own path. And here's the tragedy of it, friends. How often is it not until we are scraped and bleeding and dehydrated and about to pass out and lost that we're like, oh, this this wasn't the way. (laughs) This wasn't it. Whoops, right? That's oftentimes the case. Now, I believe, I hope you do too, I believe wholeheartedly that the Holy Spirit actively leads and guides us in this life if we will humbly listen to him and seek his guidance. I believe that. And I'm so thankful that's true. I, I, need, that. I need that to be true. <laughs> and part of what... Look, if you, if you hear me get animated today talking about my need for God and it's not resonating... Here's here's what I want to submit to you. Maybe today what what you need to be confronted with is, okay, I I don't actually know how much I need God. That's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but at least it's a good thing for us to at least get that out in the open. Because uh, uh, before a prayer like Psalm 25 might be a prayer, Lord, before I can pray like this, I need you to help me actually see my need for you. That would be a good prayer. That'd be a wise prayer. If you realize you're sitting here and you're like, man, that guy seems like really weak or something. He's talking like he needs God every minute of the day. If, the, if, that's, if that's kind of the way it's hitting you, like, oh man, are you, are you weak? Yes! Yeah, you got it. And that means I communicated effectively, if, if you got that point. I need him all the time. I'm in big trouble if I start doing this thing on my own. 
trying to cut my own path, try to figure out my own way, or just assume, oh, don't, no, God, I got it, I got it, yeah, I know, I know how to get where we're going. Whoa. You know, we don't, oftentimes in life, it's, it's, I don't think most of us are saying that to the Lord in a direct way, but our actions are conveying sometimes that message. No, I, got, I got this. Let's not do that. <laughs> That's very dumb. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so I do believe the Holy Spirit actively guides us, and, and, and we need that, but the language here really points us to ways and paths that are established. So part of what is being said here is, Lord, you, you have carved ways. In, in the language of this is almost this idea of like, when, when, a, when wagons ride over uh, muddy roads, many times you've got these, these deep, worn ruts. There's no question, this is the way the wagons go. Okay? And, and that's part of what is being asked for here is, Lord, show, show me those paths, the, the, the clear, established paths that you've laid out. This is where I need to start, and that's where I need to go. Because so, I, get I get lost easy. I don't think I do get lost easy. Okay, we'll keep listening. We'll get you. We'll try to help you. We're not talking about your navigation skills here. And even though, if, you know, if I handed you all a map and dropped you in the woods, I think GPS has seriously impaired most of our ability to understand direction. Praise the Lord. That's got nothing to do with the Bible, so I'll just get off of that. But <clears throat> look at a map once in a while, would you, and see if you can get where you're going. It'd be, be good for you. An experienced hiker uh, doesn't just know what path to take, though that is important. They also know what gear to bring and, and where to stop to rest and how far to try to push in a given day. And what I'm saying is when it says, well, show me your ways, show me your paths, I think of ways as kind of how we navigate and paths what we navigate. There is a path, but we also need to know the Lord's ways as we're moving through that path. So I, I need additional wisdom. It's not just about, can I see the direction to go? Because if you're an inexperienced hiker, and you're going to jump out here on a, on a multi-day hike, you're, you know, you're going to do 50 miles of the Appalachian Trail, say, you don't take the right gear out there, or you get out there and you think, you think you're the, the biggest hiking monster that's ever lived, and I'm going to crush these 50 miles in one day, well, guess what? probably right around mile 18, they're going to find you laying down, okay? And, and, you know, hopefully you had a little trail mix in your pocket and you survived, but, man, it could go bad for you. You need to know the Lord's ways and his paths, where to go, but also how to move, what to look out for, what are the dangers? How do I, how do I be prepared to move through a world that is broken as a result of sin, a world that is dark uh, because of sin, Okay, uh, and, and this plea from David that we're reading, it's a humble acknowledgement that he needs daily and continual guidance from the Lord. Daily and continual guidance from the Lord. And I just want to submit to you that this, this is a precious prayer to lift up to God. Lord, make me know your ways. Teach me, teach me your paths. To even say that, it, it, it's, there's, there's such beautiful humility in saying, Lord, teach me. It's in, in saying that, you're acknowledging, I don't know everything. And the Lord responds to that kind of humility. That is the way you come to God. 
He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that idea is also going to be reinforced as we continue through here, as it should be, because it's so key to how it is we're meant to relate to God and to move through this life and to be a part of what he is doing in building his kingdom. Much of how the Holy Spirit teaches us the ways and paths of God is through the word of God. And so I'm circling back now. There is this element in, in seeking the Holy Spirit's minute-by-minute minute guidance, and I believe he will do that for us, and I, I need that. But there is also this element in which much of how the Holy Spirit shows us the paths and teaches us the ways is by taking us to God's word. These, these paths are, are worn and rutted. <laughs> there, there, there are ways of the Lord that are always the same. There are ways to conduct ourselves as followers of God that are always the same. And it's from God's word that that wisdom and that guidance comes. And so we need all of that. We need guidance in all those ways. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's never going to guide us into anything that is contrary to Scripture. That's, I, I, many times I have the question from people, well, how do I know? How do I know if this is the Lord leading me? How do I know if the first thing you do is whatever, whatever you think the Lord may be directing you to do is you take it and you run it through the grid of the word. That's going to be a lot harder for you to do the less word you know. The less of the word of God that is written upon your heart, the more open you are to deception. It's really not that complicated of a concept, and yet sometimes we, we tend to miss it. Our, our hunger and our thirst for the word, our desire to have more of this revealed truth of God written upon our hearts... It's sometimes lackluster, and I think that many times is because we couldn't honestly pray a prayer like Psalm 25 many days. We aren't honestly aware of how desperate we are in need of God's help and guidance on the day-to-day. -day. We are often distracted, fickle, foolish even. Yeah, okay, all right. Three of you know that you're foolish sometimes. The rest of you will keep working on it. We'll get there. Let's, let's look at verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. I know some of you, you'll get to these spots in your life and you're like, I, I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. I don't... I don't I don't feel like the Lord is guiding me. I, I don't, I, I'm looking in the word and I don't, I don't see clear direction. I, 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 there's a fork in the road. I don't know which way to go. Or, and there's this, there's this paralysis that can sometimes happen when people are feeling that way. I, I, just, I just don't know what to do. And what I would submit to you is this. Verse 5 where it says, For you I wait all of the day. I'm going to help some of you because I know some of you see that and you're like, oh, waiting. And I'm, I'm like in that group. You know what I mean? Like, you know, my kids have Kings Island passes and so they go all summer long. I go one time a year because I got one day worth of patience for the lines at Kings Island. That's, that's it. That's all I got. And, and then I'll come back next year, you know, after the patience tank has filled back up. So I get like the idea of waiting on the Lord all day. Some of you are like, oh, okay, cool. Real excited about that. Um, but it's, <clears throat> it is that. There is an element in which sometimes you need to sit still and wait on God. 
And there's a discipline to that, and there's a, there's a shaping and forming power to not just jumping out and like, okay, well, Lord, if you won't tell me what to do, I'm just going to do something. Okay, that, that's going to go bad 10 times out of 10, all right? So just you can check that stat later, but it'll stand. I promise that's not the way it goes good. But this waiting on the Lord, one commentator, I had not seen this before, said, it's, yes, it's waiting in the way you would traditionally think of it, but there's also another way that we wait upon the Lord. And it's not like sitting there twiddling your thumbs, but it's waiting on the Lord like a server waits on a customer. And so that's really helpful to me because what that tells me is the next time I don't know what to do, I'm going to do what I already know to do. I can wait on the Lord. There's some basic things I can be doing all the time. I can be studying scripture. I can be participating in the life of the local church. I can be looking for opportunities to share the gospel. I can be, I can be all kind. I can be loving my family. I can be loving everybody I bump into. There, there's some standard things that God has said. All of my children should be doing this all of the time, and that's part of what it looks like to wait on the Lord. I'm a servant. He's he's the honcho. When he says, "Hey, fill this drink," Lord, it's my. I'm gonna, I will trip you to get to be the one to do it. And I hope that's your attitude. And if it's not, then, then pray that God would help you fix it, man. I want Waiting on the Lord. What a beautiful opportunity to never be in that place of, of feeling paralyzed. And I, I, just, I can't do anything because I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. You do know what to do. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord in all those basic, standard, none none of what God has called us to do is basic or standard. It's all supernatural. Walking in love, that's the wildest thing anybody's ever asked you to do, man. And you haven't perfected it yet. So guess what? You're not stuck. That's what I'm trying to say to you today. It's actually good news what I'm telling you. I don't see enough smiles on faces right now, so I'm telling you, obviously it's not hitting you the way it should. This is good news, friend. You don't ever have to be stuck. You don't ever have to feel like, well, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We can always be busy about the Father's business. Those basic things he's called each one of us to do. And sometimes, friends, it's obedience in those things, walking along the path, and then, and then there's a bend, there's a corner, and, and, and then comes a, a revealing about more detail. Because you've got to ask yourself, why is God going to give you this future detail about what your next move is if you're not even willing to obey the basic stuff along the road? Right? If he says walk on this path, but you're, you're over here in the ditch rolling around in the grass. What, what, he can't tell you about what's around the corner yet. We got to get you out of the ditch. Stop rolling in the grass. Get back on the path. We're, we're doing something here. We're heading somewhere. And sometimes it's, it's just faithfulness to, to, to make it up around the bend. It's like, oh, okay, n- now I see where we're going. You, I mean, None of you seem as excited about that as you should be, but maybe it'll hit you later. Let's keep moving. We'll find something else you like in here. Amen. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to wait on him. You can do whatever you want, (laughs) but I'm excited about that idea. All right. Verses six through seven. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Lord, have a great memory, but forget about this. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny, David. Uh, <laughs> how can he do that, though? How can he have that selective memory? According to your loving kindness. According to your loving kindness. 
remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. We don't come to God demanding his help because he owes it to us. It is only by his mercy and compassion we get anything but wrath from him. If, everything, if everybody just got what they deserve from God, it would be wrath. It would be judgment. That is what we've all earned. The Bible is very clear about that. The only way we're getting anything other than that from God is because of his mercy and his compassion. And that's, that's, what, that's what David is asking for here. Lord, I know in order for you to forget the transgressions of my youth, to forget my foolishness, and to focus your loving kindness upon me, that's, that's going to be an act of mercy on your part. That's going to be compassionate. I'm not owed that. And, and why? For your goodness' sake, O oh Lord. It's not even just about, like, Lord, I, I'm hoping you do this because that will definitely be easier for me. <laughs> that will definitely be better for me. David's not just thinking about how this affects him. And that, I think, is instructive for us. A major part of our motivation as we pray these kinds of things should be that God's goodness and glory may be displayed in our lives so that the goodness and the glory of God, as He is merciful to us, as He is compassionate to us, as He is long-suffering and patient with us, that we are reflecting to a world, many of whom do not know God is loving and kind and worthy to be trusted, that look, look, look at the goodness of God in my life. Do it for your goodness sake, O Lord. Yes, yes, this is helping me too, but Lord, be glorified as you do what you do, as you are loving and kind towards me. That's, that's another sign of humility, that you're not just bringing prayers to God, only thinking about, okay, this hurts, or this is uncomfortable, or I'd like this to stop, or I'm bored with this, or whatever the problem is, and it's like, Lord, I wish you'd just fix that because it's affecting me negatively. Period. That's okay. I mean, if that's where you're at, the, the Lord is gracious and, and he'll keep working with you. But what we want to get to is a point where we're not just concerned about how situation XYZ is affecting me. How's it affecting people around me? And where is the opportunity for the glorious one to be glorified through this? Am I thinking about that? Is that, is that make it into my prayer? Does it make it into my consciousness as I'm considering these things? These are good questions for us to ask. And if it isn't regularly making the cut in the way you're thinking about stuff, again, none of this is meant to be a, a, a hammer upon you. It's, it's an encouragement. It's an invitation to a more, a more beautiful way to think and to live and to thrive underneath the kingship of Christ. So I hope you feel invited, because <laughs> it's all right here. For your goodness sake, O oh Lord. Verses 8 through 11, take those in, in a chunk here. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Does that catch your attention? We've got to talk about that. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord, all the paths of the Lord. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, there it is again, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. 
Is that hitting you as a little bit odd? Lord, pardon my iniquity. Here's something I would expect. Pardon my iniquity, Lord, because I didn't really mean it. Pardon my iniquity, Lord, because it's not that bad. Pardon my iniquity, Lord. Pardon my iniquity for it is great. Like, like the, the reason I'm asking you to pardon is because my iniquity is so great? Huh. Well, it actually ties back to the first huh I see in here, which is that he instructs sinners in the way. Huh. What? This is a revolutionary inversion of the way we are all so often tempted to think. And and I'm going to try to illustrate what I'm talking about. How many times have you and I, I'm going to tell on myself all the way and give you details, you don't have to, but I'm just asking, have have you ever been tempted to, to try to deal with God this way? Lord, if you will just bail me out of this, I will... Fill in the blank. Have you ever come to God with a bargain? Lord, if you'll do this, if you'll make this happen, I promise I'll stop doing this or start doing this or be more consistent with this. Or Nobody but me has ever even been tempted in that way? I'm going to have to tell on myself and be all alone? Okay, all right. It's a natural way to think. We live in a world where quid pro quo is, is kind of the way things go. You do something, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? You do, you, you do good to me, I do good to you. So it, it makes natural sense to say, okay, God, like I'm, I'm, I'm in big trouble here. And, and here's what I'm saying, Lord, if you'll, if, if you'll get me out of this one, I'll, whatever the thing is, whatever you think your bargaining chip is. But, it's, but even what we're betraying in that is, is this idea. I, I think... God's willingness to have compassion on me is going to be based on my performance. Like, I'm going to get God to move on this because I'm promising him I'm going to do better on this thing that I'm not doing good at. Well, <laughs> hold on, man. He said he instructs sinners in the way. I, I, I remember the last time I did this, this, this kind of bargain thing. It was, it was many years ago. I'm not sure how many years, but... <clears throat> I, I, I for sure was in my early 20s, so it was 15 years ago probably. And uh, I, was, I was working in this house, and the, you know where your floor drapes come and hit the basement wall, there's like a little spot up there, and oftentimes people will put insulation in there, uh, you know, trying to keep the cold out. And I reached up and grabbed this thing of pink insulation and pulled it out of the hole. And I learned something that day. There are tiny, tiny little granules of fiberglass in the insulation. And one of those tiny granules of fiberglass went directly into my eyeball. And I've been in the trades a long time, so I've had things in my eye. I was like, okay, this is inconvenient. You know, so I'm trying to wash it out. I'm doing all the tricks, um, you know, trying to think of sad movies so I can cry a little bit and try to wash it out, whatever. And nothing's working. I mean, so it's hours later, I go home, I'm filling sinks up, trying to open my eyes underneath, doing the whole, you know, and it's like, it's, it's fiberglass. So every time I close my eyelid, it's, it's just scraping the mess out of my eyeball. And there's like this, I remember this point of desperation. Right? It's like, I'm, I don't think I can get this out. I'm just like, Lord, please, like, please, if you get this thing out of my eye, I will wear safety glasses forever. Like, I promise. You know, like I wasn't even doing a task where you would think you need safety glasses. But I'm like, I, I'll, I will glue safety glasses to my face, like, 
this is so bad. And I'm weird about my eyes anyways. Like I, when, when, if I, my eyes go, like it, it's like prescription time, I'm, you're going to see me in glasses. There's no way I could put a contact in my eye. I don't know how you people do that. I, I, I have a hard time trusting you that you can be touching your eye like that. What? That's weird. So I'm going to have to get some cool glasses. Uh, maybe we'll take a vote, let you guys pick them. But in any case, um, <laughs> so I, I mean, I ended up, the Lord, I, I, just fill out the story. The Lord didn't take the deal. Uh, I had to go to the optometrist and this little 120 pound female optometrist straps me in a chair and starts peeling my eye back and digging in there. I mean, I'm up broke the straps on that chair. That was the worst man. But in this moment of desperation, I'm like, Lord. And, and, and I honestly, like after it all settled down and I thought about that again, I was super convicted about it. I'm like, man, that is not how we deal with the Lord. That is, that's not it, man. Um, he, he deals, he's, none of the goodness that has come to me from God is a result of goodness that I have sent his way and he's repaying me. It is all based on his mercy and compassion. I'm not going to move him by trying to cut deals with him. That's not how it works. It's really interesting. It says he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He instructs sinners in the way. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Those that know they are sinners, he instructs in his way. A prerequisite to being led in the ways of the Lord and being shown the paths of the Lord and to being included in anything that this God is doing is coming to him humbly and acknowledging, I need you. I am a sinner that needs you. You are the God of salvation and I need that salvation. It's only those that the Lord will even start to deal with. There is no Bible verse, hear me. There is no Bible verse that says the Lord helps those who help themselves. We like to say that, don't we? And the Lord works in mysterious ways, and we got a bunch of other cool ones that it's like, oh, cool. Do you know where that verse is? A buddy of mine from New Zealand, he said there was a preacher that came to their, their uh, and, and preached for their church family one time, and he got up, it was like a like a revival type meeting thing. And he got up and he, you know, these charismatic guys like, yeah, the Lord is good, isn't he? Church, yeah. You know, did a couple other things riling him up. And he said, and the Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And the people are like, yeah. And he said, and, and this is a Bible church. You all, you all know your Bible. You know where that verse is? Yeah. And he slammed the pulpit and said, liars, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> I said, that's my, I like that guy. I don't even, I've never even met him. I like that fella right there. I ought to call my friend, see if I can get him over here. Rile you guys up a little bit. <clears throat> there is no Bible verse that says the Lord helps those who help themselves, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, that point to the truth that the Lord helps those who know they are helpless without him. The Lord helps those who know They are helpless without him. Those that can sing, Lord, I need you, and mean it, those are the ones the Lord can help. Humility is the way we're coming to him. Not coming to him to dictate terms, not coming to him to tell him how this or that should be, but coming humbly and knowing I need to be taught. I don't know the ways. I don't know the paths. I need the instruction of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord.
Now, you might be looking at verse 10 and say, well, I don't know, man. I think you missed the point here. Because uh, I hear everything you're saying, but then it says, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimony. So, like, yeah, man, great, but here's what, here's what you're not seeing. It's those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. That's the ones that he's going to pour out his loving kindness on. Those that Loving, all the paths of the Lord, their loving kindness and truth to who? To those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Okay, that's good. I, I hope you caught that. All right, but let's think about this. What are his covenants and his testimonies? What are his covenants and his testimonies? Okay, let's, let's go Old Testament. We're going to summarize the OT covenant. Obey the Lord and worship him alone. And when you fail, acknowledge it by offering sacrifices for atonement. That's, that's the covenant. So the covenant, in the covenant was going to, you were not going to keep the covenant between God and Israel and not know that you're a sinner and be willing to offer sacrifice. If, if you were running around thinking you were keeping the covenant without atoning sacrifices, oh, yeah, I'm doing it all. I don't need to go to the tabernacle and do the whole goat thing with the high priest. I'm good. You're not keeping the covenant. You're confused, friend. You don't know that you're a sinner in need of mercy and grace. So this keeping the covenant, it, the only way you can do that is know that I, I, I can't perfectly do what God is expecting of us in terms of holiness. That I'm going to need to rely on. If I'm going to relate to a perfect holy God, I'm going to be reliant upon the mercy and compassion of God and the provision he has made for my sin to be atoned for through sacrifice. That's the old covenant. New covenant starts with acknowledging that you're a sinner by nature and choice and trusting in Christ's atoning sacrifice for you. And so keeping the covenants, why is it all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenants and his testimonies? Really, that reinforces what we're already saying. The Lord messes with people who know they need him. <laughs> and those who don't, he's not doing a whole lot. Step one is know you need him. Realize that your holiness is insufficient. That your wisdom is insufficient. A, a fair summary of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is you need God. That'll put you in the right spot to receive the rest of what it has for you. I need him. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Here's another way I could see that being said in 2023. And I hear things like this all the time. Uh, and it's probably a contributing factor to why I've cracked crowns off my molars because it just grates my nerves when I hear stuff like this. Here's, here's how some people think that verse should go. Pardon my iniquity because, Lord, you know I have a good heart and I'm a good person. Pardon my iniquity, Lord, because I'm a good person. That is a clinic on missing the point. It's an absolute clinic on missing the point. Lord, I, 
you know I have a good heart, so cut me some slack. Pardon my iniquity. No, our iniquity is not pardoned until we will let go of that idea that I am somehow inherently good and worthy of what God has to offer in and of myself. Two wonders now that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. This is the the antinomous paradigm that we are placed in as Bible-believing Christians. And, And you can get off into one or the other. You can get to the point where you think what it means to relate to God is to only be able to ever grovel like this useless worm. But that won't work because there are so many scriptures that talk about you being raised up as royalty with Christ. But then some people will grab the raised up to royalty with Christ and, and forget the parts that the only, reason, the only reason I'm there is his mercy and compassion. You start, you start to read some of those verses meant to lift you up and to place you in a proper understanding of your proximity and relationship to God and for you to be encouraged by that. People start to get, start to get puffed up. Or you, you can be on the other side where all... All people focus on is, is the verses meant to keep us in a, in a, in a, a proper tension between these two truths and, and end up feeling like, like somehow they, they are so unworthy that they cannot even access the compassion and the mercy of God. And these are two opposite errors. You know, Satan likes to send deception into the world in pairs, opposite pairs. Because typically, because of the way you're wired, one or the other will get you. And the gospel, being beat into our heads constantly, is the only way we stay out of those twin errors that come in pairs and are always trying to pull us to the right and to the left. That's a helpful truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pardon my iniquity. That's not, he doesn't say pardon my iniquity because I'm a good person with a good heart. He says pardon my iniquity for it is great. Pardon my iniquity, Lord, because if you don't, I don't have a shot. Your mercy is the only shot I got. That's what's being said. And that is the proper posture to come before God. The beauty is we are promised front to back through these scriptures, that when we come to him like that, he is loving and kind and patient and merciful. God responds. He opposes the proud, but he gives what? To the humble. Grace, and that's what we need. We just need to know we need it. And come to him and humbly ask. And he will not deny someone that comes to him in that way. There is, it, there is no other... There is no other... There, there, there's no ethnic requirements, there's no intelligence requirements, there's no height requirements, there's nothing else God's looking at when you come to him other than, does this person know they need me? Does this person know they need grace? If they're humble enough to know they need my grace, I'm going to pour it out on them. Man, I'm glad that's the requirement. Because if there was an intelligence cutoff, I'm sure I'd be out. Hallelujah. I just know I need him. I know I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. I know I don't have all the wisdom. I need the Lord. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will will instruct him in the way he should choose. Only, here's what that's saying. It's 
pretty self-explanatory, but only those who respect and revere the Lord will be able to receive his guidance. It is only those who have a healthy respect and reverence for God that are going to be able to hear and, and to understand and to obey what it is he's guiding us in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 13, his soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. Hmm. Let me read that again. His soul, his soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. Here's a fun question. This is a good uh, stare at yourself in the bathroom mirror and ask it question. Um, how do you define prosperity? And I don't want you to try to be super spiritual right now and anticipate the right answer. I want you to be really honest with yourself and with the Lord. If all I did was walk in a room and scream the word prosperity, what's the first thing, first thing that comes to your mind? And it's either, yeah, yeah, all that. And the, I think the question to push ourselves on is, when we hear the word prosperity, does material prosperity or prosperity of the soul come to mind first? When I think about, when I hear prosperity, and I think, man, that, that's, something, that's something I want. That's, I, I want. I want good things, but what are the most important good things? Like, there's all kinds of good things in the world. But what, what comes first? What hits my frame first when I hear that idea? Because what we see here is that he says his soul, his soul will abide in prosperity. And when I think, what, what is the best thing that could happen to me? Is it that I think growing in closeness to Christ and in Christ-like character and, and growing in, in that process of being conformed to the image of Christ and having a greater sense of peace and connection with God, that that's the, the best thing that could possibly happen to me in this world is that my soul would increase in prosperity? Or, if I'm being honest, is the best thing I could think of that could happen to me is finding a winning lottery ticket because I'm sure none of you are buying them. I don't care if you buy lottery tickets. I mean, whatever. But the point is, that was, are, are you still thinking about soul prosperity? That's why that joke landed like a lead balloon? That's okay. I'll try another one in a minute. It'll probably hit. That's a really good question to ask yourself. What, what comes to mind first when I hear that word? What, what is the best thing that could happen to me? Do I think of it in the realm of growing in, in spiritual maturity and in closeness to Christ is the best thing that could happen to me in my life that I'd be more like Jesus tomorrow in a real way than today? Or is there some other thing that, if I'm being honest, like, yeah, I'd, I'd be a, a lot more excited if that happened. Maybe you found, find a bag of jewels or something, like if you're too freaked out by the lottery thing. What, what is it, right? What material blessing could come your way? And here's the thing, when we, uh, however we think about these things, it will echo for generations. Our kids will pick up what we emphasize, what we hold as dear, and then their kids and their kids and their kids. And so there's a lot at stake when it comes to humbly submitting ourselves to the 
inspection and the instruction of the Holy Spirit and, and pushing ourselves on what it is we prioritize most, really, in this life. Uh, and you might say, well, man, I think you're being hyper-spiritual or, I, you know, I don't know, it seems like a lot, but you got, you got to remember, man, this life is but a vapor. <laughs> this is not the big show. We're aliens, we're sojourners. This, this is a temporary habitation. Home is somewhere else with someone else. And <clears throat> the degree to which we are effective in the time we're allotted to walk this earth is going to be directly proportional to how we think about these things. What is the best thing that could possibly happen to me? Uh, for my soul to prosper. <laughs> Does that mean I can't work hard and be wise with finances? and all? No, it doesn't mean any of that. But what comes first in here? What, what drives us, shapes our passions? These are really good questions. Let's look at verse 14. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. This idea of the secret of the Lord in the, in that, in the language is kind of contained this idea. It's, it's like being in the Lord's inner circle. The secret of the Lord. Uh, some have even said that this, the secret of the Lord here could be translated friendship with the Lord. So the idea is closeness and, and this, this kind of confidence. The, 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 Lord, the Lord can deal with you much like he dealt with Abraham. Think about that. Like Abraham, God dealt with Abraham like a friend. God came and spoke to Abraham. God told Abraham things nobody else knew. I'm going to come and give you a descendant, and that descendant... Eventually, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through this seed of your family. This, this was inner circle type stuff. This is, that, God didn't get on the earthwide megaphone and say, <clears throat> attention everyone, I'm going to use Abraham and his family to bless the entire earth. No, he just, he just spoke to Abraham. Because Abraham was called righteous for what? His faith in God. Abraham was in a place of knowing he needed God and a willingness to believe God, take him at his word, even when what God was saying sounded plug nuts. Because remember, when Abraham got this word, he was childless and old. And God comes and gives this promise that is predicated on a baby being born from him and his old wife. So that's tough. But the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Abraham had a reverence and a respect for God, trusted him, and he will make them know his covenant. The, the deep secrets of the Lord are really contained within the beauty of his covenant. But Peter said that angels still long to look into the beauty of the gospel. There is depth to these, this covenant God has made with us. There, angels, eternal beings, are still in awe as they look upon what God has been able to do through his might and his glorious power and his great mercy in how he has dealt with us as children. He will make us to know his covenants. I don't know about you, I, I want the Lord to be able to tell me secrets. 
I'd like to be mature enough to handle that and, and for him to know that I can, I can do something with it. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to wait on him. You know, pass me a note, Lord. I'm into it. Let's do it. Verse 15. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Man, there is so much language in this psalm. You, you, he, you, over and over and over again. Lord, I need you. When it says that he'll pluck my feet out of the net, this, this, the picture here is like a snare hidden by a hunter. Okay? And really, what David's acknowledging here is, it acknowledges that our best bet is to keep our eyes up and fixed upon the Lord. Because we could stare at our feet all day long and we will still get tangled up in the net. We, if, if, we're, if we're like, okay, I, I, need, I need to be the one looking out for the day. I need to be the one that's going to see the thing. If, if we're looking down, doing things in our own strength, you know, oh, look at that pile of leaves. I'm going to walk through that. Boom, I'm in the net. But if my eyes, if my eyes are upon the, if my trust is in him, if, if my dependence is upon him, then e- even if I'm walking... And then that, that fowler's neck grabs my feet. Guess what? The Lord's about, here you go, son. Keep going. I got you. Is your trust in you or is your trust in him? That's really the bottom line of that verse. That's a great question for me to ask myself, Pastor Vince. Thank you for proposing it. You are welcome. You are wel- I'm glad you saw that. That's really good. Verses 16 and 17. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. This is one of those places, guys, every time we come back to the Psalms, I I know I kind of, I beat this drum, but I can't help it because I am so thankful for the honesty of the Psalms. You know, this... This is not sugarcoated, man. Turn, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. David, David doesn't think it's a bad faith statement to tell the Lord how he actually feels. I'm lonely, Lord. I'm afflicted. What else? The troubles of my heart are enlarged. This is real language. This is, this is him being really honest with the Lord about what it is. Where am I at? And, and, and he's not afraid to be truthful with the Lord about that. And, and it comes with this Again, this request, bring me out of my distresses. Verse 18, look upon my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. It's interesting as he's pouring his heart out about how much struggle there is. And of course, we've seen mentioned here, and, and it's, it's common throughout the Psalms, this mention of enemies. But I, I, I so much appreciate verse 18. At the end of kind of this series, 16 through 18, of talking about how hard things are, look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. There's this, there's this refusal by the psalmist to act like all the problems, or even the biggest problems, are out there. I'm lonely, I'm afflicted, I'm struggling. I've got enemies that they want to do bad things. But Lord, also forgive my sins. Because some of my despondency might be sinful. Some of my despondency might be a lack of trust in you. But also, I, I, there's the, the, the biggest problem I have is not external enemies. The biggest problem I have is my own sin. He caps off the series there with forgive all my sins. And it's not like a one-off where he just threw it in because we're only a couple verses down from pardon my iniquity for it is great. This is somebody that knows I am in need of grace. 
Without mercy, I'm done for. Okay? I think that's really helpful. Uh, It's helpful because each of us have the potentiality to be confused and think all of the problems are out there. Everything that's going wrong, everything that feels broken, it's all the result of these external forces forgetting that I am also a sinner (laughs) navigating a broken world and the biggest problems I have are, are in here. It's very, very easy to be indignant, angry, even furious about the sins and failings of others. That's very easy. But if, if you're going to get indig- indignant and really just righteously angry about sin, you know, some of you like to say that, well, there's righteous anger. Yeah, I know. Are you righteously angry about your own sin as much as everybody else's? If you go stand in the mirror and you can at yourself as much as you'd like to at everybody else out here and what they're doing, Amen. Hallelujah. You go. But probably what's going to happen is you're going to go look in the mirror and go, ooh, (laughs) I better pray for my enemies because that's what I need someone to be doing for me. Because I need mercy. Bad. Amen. Verses 19 through 21. Look upon my enemies, for they are many. They hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. So what we're seeing here, the threat is real, okay? The danger is real. The problems are real. This is not uh, just drama on David's part, and, and, and he doesn't have to say, oh, well, Lord, you know, it's not really that bad. No, man. There's real enemies with real hate, violent hate, and they, they want to do something to me. This is, I'm in a real problem here. But then he asks again. There's, there's, we're now seeing some of the repetition. David has no, time, no, no problem asking the Lord again for him to guard his soul. Deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, Lord. Don't let me end up looking foolish because I put all of my hope in you. And connected to that is David having a care for the, the, the glory of God in the thing. Lord, it's not just about me not getting overtaken by these enemies. It's also about I'm with you and you're with me and people are watching. So don't let these enemies exalt, Lord. Don't let me be ashamed because I put my trust in you. A gen- what, we, what we're seeing there is a genuine care for the glory of God in the midst of a very, very hard thing. And that's, that's instructive in and of itself, right? Because oftentimes when we're in very hard things, all we're thinking about is the very hard thing and how it feels to me. I'm not thinking about Lord, I, I really could use your help. I do need deliverance. This is hard and pressurized and I'm struggling. But Lord, I also, also at least I'm having a thought of your glory in all of this. Of your goodness being reflected as, this, as you are faithful in this situation. Don't let me be ashamed, Lord. For I take refuge in you. And that's the question. Why? Why? Why guard my soul, deliver me? Do not let me be ashamed. Why do I have any hope that that's possible? That, that in a situation this dire, this difficult, this hard, how, how could I possibly even ask to not be ashamed? How, how can I ask for, for this positive outcome? Why? Well, it's because, again, he says, I take refuge in you. That being the key word. I take refuge. You can take refuge in a lot of things. 
You, you can go try to find refuge in a lot of places. But when you take refuge in Him, you, you have reason to pray bold prayers like this and believe that they'll be answered. He says, I take refuge in you. I wait for you. You, the operative word. You can wait on a lot of things, but when you're waiting, when you wait on Him, and you wait for Him, you'll not be ashamed. Again, this is, it's, it's a repeat of that idea we talked about earlier with the two bridges. It's the object of his faith. That's where the hope lies. It's not in David's ability to wait. It's not in David's ability to hope. That's because he could wait and hope in the wrong things, you understand. The object of where the waiting and the hoping and the faith is being placed, that's why we've got any chance of this going well. Because he is mighty and he is good and he does not fail and he does not disappoint. He does not. Those who wait on him will not be ashamed. Period. Cash that one in. You can count on it. Help us, Lord. He's asking for help to walk in integrity and uprightness, to be consistent in where he finds refuge and upon whom he is waiting. Lord, help me with integrity. Integrity is it's, it's not being one way here and, and another way here. It's being the same all the time. Uprightness. It's not being two-faced. It's, it's not, oh, well, you know, when I'm, I'm trying to look spiritual in front of people, I'm, I'm going to talk about how my trust is in the Lord, but then, then somewhere else I'm over here scheming, doing my own thing, trying to make my own path. Or, or come up with, okay, yeah, well, sure, I can see that trusting God is probably should be plan A, but I'm going to have plan B, C, and D just in case. Okay, That's not taking refuge in the Lord. That's, that's throwing the Lord some, yeah, maybe he can do it, but at the end of the day, I'm really counting on me. It's going to be plan B, C, or D that's going to get it done. That's yuck. Let's not do that. <clears throat> he's asking for help to walk in integrity and uprightness, to be consistent in where he finds refuge, upon whom he is waiting. I, I would say this to you, friends. I, I genuinely believe that the man who cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, I think that man was familiar with the Psalms, and, and probably particularly Psalm 25. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because even in this, I'm, I'm challenged in Psalm 25, not just to pray like this, but to pray ahead of this. Lord, Lord, help me to pray like that. Help me to get to the place where I'm thinking right so that I can pray these kind of prayers. I could sing this kind of a song and, it, and have integrity in my heart as I do it. I am, I'm waiting on you and for you. My refuge is in you. I've got one shot. It's you. And I really actually believe that. And I'm going to walk accordingly and place my hope accordingly. Verse 22, this is the end. It says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. There is uh, incredible power in caring about and praying for others in the midst of your own struggles. We've already seen throughout this prayer, David has a concern for the glory of God in the midst of this very real, dangerous, hard situation. He's not just thinking about saving his own skin. He's thinking about, every time he says, Lord, don't let me be ashamed, it's really, Lord, don't let us be ashamed. 
Don't let, don't let your faithfulness be brought into question over this situation. Let's let these enemies that deal treacherously for no reason, let's let them be ashamed, and let's let everyone see one more time what happens when you come up against the God of Israel. Let's do it again, Lord, because you've done it so many times. Red Sea, Jericho, I mean, pick a battle. There's incredible power in not just caring about how you feel and how this is affecting you and getting hyper-focused with tunnel vision about that, caring about how, how me walking in uprightness and integrity by the power of the Spirit, by God's compassionate mercy upon me, by His indwelling, strengthening, not by my own strength, but walking in that uprightness and integrity, how that's going to reflect upon the Lord, but also caring about the fact that I'm not getting pulled into these places where I'm now of no use to anybody else. David's not only thinking about the glory of God, he's also thinking about the welfare of Israel, the people of God. He's not just super focused on how bummed he is about what's going on. And there's power in that, praying for others in the midst of your own struggles. David is not just thinking about hard things, he's got the people of God in view. And the devil wants us all to think we are the only ones suffering, the only ones struggling to get hyper-focused on our own problems. And then this isolation leads to despair and it seeks to corrode our faith and hope. That sense of isolation, that sense of seclusion, and it's, I'm, it's just me and my problems here. It's just me and my despair. Well, dear friend, just, just try open up your eyes, look right and left. You'll find some more need and despair and people that could use the merciful compassion and power of God everywhere, <laughs> all the time. And this is one reason that we are commanded in Galatians chapter 6 to, hear this, bear one another's burdens and in so doing... Fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. That is part of why we are continually banging on the drum of trying to encourage all of you to take seriously living in authentic community and being a part of one another's lives. Not letting this be some conscious, appeasing social club you visit once a week to hit that check mark and feel like you did your duty and move on. That is an anemic, broken approach to what it means to be a part of the church of God. We are called to bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. Part of how you don't end up drowning in hopeless sorrow over everything that's busted up in your life right now, and this sounds crazy, some of you are going to be like, I don't believe that right now in this moment. And we're just going to have to ask the Lord to help you see it. But this is a counterintuitive truth. Part of how you don't end up drowning in your own sorrow and your own brokenness and your own everything you got going on is by opening yourself up to be able to care about what other people are struggling with. I know that doesn't make, it's like, hold on, but that's more weight. No, no, it's not. Because if, if I walk over here and I try to pick up this pew by myself, I'm, I'm going to struggle and, and, and probably fail. But if five of us come over here and pick this thing up, all of a sudden it's different. You're helping me bear my burden, now I'm helping you bear your burden. Guess what? Now, now I don't feel alone. Look, man, 
look, we're going to move this thing wherever we want to move it. Watch this. Try to stop us now. And, and because we're obeying God and doing it that way, now we've got his wind at our back. It's not just an acknowledgement that I need God. It's also an acknowledgement that I need his people. And part of how he gives me himself is through his people. Did we get that? Did, did someone write that down? Someone write that down. Woo! Bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. May we all together humbly seek the ways and paths of Christ for his glory and for our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Psalm 25. God, thank you for the rawness, the authenticity of it. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've not scrubbed your word of the difficult realities of what it's like trying to navigate a broken world. Thank you that we don't have to try to sugarcoat and not tell you the truth. We can be honest about how we're feeling, what, what our struggles look like, and, and, and not just directly with you. We can do that with one another. We can open up the opportunity for us to obey that command to bear one another's burdens. Thank you that uh, you're not offended by our honesty. And Lord, that it's in that honesty. It's, it's in not being fake about it. It's in actually being authentic that we can it helps us to come to that place that we all need to come to. We need to come to that great summary of your scriptures, which is that we need you. We need you, Lord. And to the degree we understand that, wherever every person within the sound of my voice, wherever they are in the arc of revelation of understanding how much they need you, Lord, I ask that all of us would continue to grow because I know none of us get it fully. None of us have arrived at a place of totally understanding just how dependent we really are on you. And even, even if there's been moments where we've, we've grabbed at the, at the, the hem of that truth and, and we've started to pull it, we, we, we tend to not stay there. We, 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 we have, there's this back and forth. And not just to the degree we believe it, but how we walk it out. And Lord, we, don't, we, we, we ask for your help. Help us to walk with integrity and uprightness. Help us to be the same all the time. Help us to, in all things and in all ways, acknowledge our need for you. We are sinners that need a Savior. We are broken and we need a healer. We are people that need to be restored. And we need power from outside of ourselves to accomplish anything worth accomplishing. We need you. We were made for you. And us disconnected from you makes no sense whatsoever. And so, God, I ask that these truths would be driven deep into our hearts, and then we can live in light of them. For your glory, Master, help us not be ashamed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give, or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.com.
www.thepurpose.org.